the senior pastor of Christ Arms Reaching Everywhere Ministries, welcome. Thank you for listening. And I just want to jump into it. We have a really great, um, a great uh, broadcast today, and it's very informative. If you don't have the opportunity to tune in, what I recommend that you do is to listen to the podcast. It's very informative, and there are a lot of questions uh, that will be answered that I'm sure that you have. We have two very special experts uh, and guests with us, and I tell you what, I'm going to give them a chance like I usually do to introduce themselves, Dr. Woodhouse and Dr. Looney. As a matter of fact, welcome. Thank you for being here. It's really exciting, but let's get to the subject at hand, COVID-19 and the vaccine. First, introduce yourself. <clears throat> well, my name is Dr. Daryl Looney. I am an emergency medicine physician for the past 25 years, boarded in emergency medicine. I am Dr. Sherman Woodhouse. I've been a radiation oncologist for the past 22 years. I am also um, boarded in lifestyle medicine. Great. And thank you again. Thank you for being with us. And just thank you, because this is something that's very relevant. The, the, the purpose of my broadcast is to, to bring practical application and to help to give information to the public. So I wanna get right into it and it's the vaccine. There's a lot of questions people have been asked to me. Can you just share with us, how does it work? Well, this is kind of a new, pro, new approach to vaccines. The way this one works is it introduces what's called messenger RNA, which is literally a set of instructions into the cells in the muscle of the shoulder. And that muscle is then instructed to put out proteins that are the same as the spike protein of the coronavirus. When it puts out those proteins, your immune system sees that, recognizes it as foreign and attacks it. So now if the person is ever exposed to coronavirus, from the environment, from another person or what have you, um, then the immune system is able to recognize it and attack it. So it's important to point out though that the spike protein that our bodies make in response to the vaccine is an imitation spike protein, all right? right. You cannot get coronavirus from the vaccine. There's right. no component of the virus itself that's used in the production of the vaccine. Exactly. And that's good information because the question people have and the question that I've been asked is, so how does this vaccine uh, differ from the other ones? Yes, uh, previous vaccines have used techniques such as what's called live attenuated virus, meaning it's a live virus and it replicates the way regular viruses do. However, it doesn't make you as ill but you do get good immune response. That is not how this vaccine works. This is not a live virus or anything like that by any means. It's just simply a set of instructions that causes your muscle and your body that it's injected into to make pieces of the virus to be able to activate your immune system against it. So, so far there are two vaccines that, that are approved, um, AstraZeneca, that's Just, coming up. That's I think coming they're using it in soon. Europe. 
Right, but in the U.S., um, someone who who is getting vaccine who would be getting vaccinated now would either be getting the Pfizer vaccine or the Moderna vaccine. Mm-hmm. So the Pfizer vaccine is approved for um, people age 16 and older, and mm-hmm. it's the first dose is given, then the second dose is done um, 21 days later. Mm-hmm. The Moderna vaccine is approved for age 18 and over, and that's given also in two doses with the second dose being 28 days days later. Yes. And we received Moderna. Yes, we got got Moderna. Okay. We'll make sure we both got the same. And we actually got our second Mm -hmm. shot last week. Last week. Okay, great, great. So the other question that people ask me is, how do we know it's safe? I mean, how do you know there's been so many myths? And even in the history of just uh, mistrust for medicine and for doctors and because of different myths and the history, et cetera. So how, how does one know whether it's safe? Right. There's always going to be a lot of hype uh, in, in negative hype and you know negative discussion and everything on the internet. But you do have to um, read for yourself and know what it is that you're going to be essentially putting in your body uh, when you can. So I recommend that people actually look at uh, the medical publications that, that are put out for patient information and patient education and read those things for themselves so that they can be confident. The key thing as far as deciding whether or not to take the vaccine is to know whether or not it's appropriate for you and your circumstance. For example, uh, Shermian and I decided that we wanted to get the vaccine because one, we are on front line. We are exposed uh, directly to those who come in with those cases. But in addition to that, we have a son who is at home who is diabetic and he's too young to be eligible to receive the vaccine. So the best choice for us and for our little society in our home to create any some type of herd immunity is for us to both be vaccinated such that we can reduce our chances of spreading it to him because he doesn't have that opportunity. So go ahead. You know, you you ask the question, is it safe? And that's Mm -hmm. what a lot of people really, really want to know. what I'm going to say is is kind of a joke, but not really. So I really don't think that in this country and across the world, we'd be really anxious to be giving an unsafe vaccine to doctors and first responders. Right? Mm -hmm. So let's keep that at the back of, even if you don't read the science, if you just think about it, it it doesn't really make sense that we'd be trying to vaccinate people who we really, really need to fight this first if we didn't think it worked, right? Can we agree on that? Okay. It makes a lot of sense, especially with the years that, and the money and the resources. Right, right, right. So, so let me answer the, the, the question you asked in a, in a more scientific way. So 
I think a lot of the concern comes from the fact that, um, you know, we're hearing this is the first time this is a messenger RNA vaccine and that it was, it was developed so fast so it couldn't be safe. So the vaccine was developed very quickly, but not in a dangerous way, but in an amazing way. It was developed in an exceedingly fast manner. And this was able to, to, to happen because of all the people who've been doing research in many different areas mm -hmm. for a long, long time. So it's as though you have all this education or all these, these different people who are working on different things. And then you had the COVID-19 pandemic and everybody was able to work together to create this, this vaccine. And let's not forget that billions of dollars were thrown at this effort across the world. I'm not aware of any other vac vaccine project or healthcare project for that matter that you know, consumed so much direct resources, both in terms of intellectual property as well as, as, well as money. So messenger RNA research has been going on for years. For about 30 right? years, at least. Yes. Remember also, COVID-19 is not the first coronavirus that we faced. There was SARS, mm -hmm. which is, um, oh, what is SARS? SARS type one, so, uh, uh, sudden acute respiratory syndrome. Right, thank you. And there was, I couldn't remember. And there was 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 MERS. So there were mm -hmm. so there was already research that was going on on other coronaviruses. The mm -hmm. other thing to remember, we have advanced significantly in um, in the field of, of genetics. They were able to figure out the genetic code of the virus in a matter of days. Yes. Mm -hmm. So that amazing. That right. itself is amazing. On top mm -hmm. of that, this is not the first <clears throat> vaccine that we've that we've rolled out. It's the first that we've had to roll out so so quickly. Mm -hmm. But we have experience rolling out vaccines, experience mm -hmm. developing vaccines. So all that information was able to be translated into this new project, which was developing and rolling out the coronavirus vaccine as fast as possible. Yes. Right? Remember also, this is not, you know, six people in a room deciding that, oh, this thing works and, it, and, it, and it's safe. No, 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 no. It's a collaborative effort with people from all different um, disciplines. All around the world. All around the world. Yes, the, the, not the, just in the US. The, the vaccine trials were very well done. They're what's called, they were what, they're what we call randomized control trials. That means you have one group who got one thing, another group that got something different, totally random, right? So it's not as though, you know, a doctor could decide what he or she wanted to give to his or her patient. No, it was totally, it was totally random. And there mm -hmm. were very large trials. Between the Moderna and the Pfizer vaccine trials, there were, I think, about 64,000 people, all right? So in the 
group of people who got the vaccine, which was roughly about 32,000 people, less than 10 of them um, got the got coronavirus. Among those who did not get the vaccine, which was another 32 or so thousand, just under 350 of them got the vaccine, got the disease, I mean. So that's how we know it's around 94, 95% effective. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And long story short, it really is not um, new technology. Like we were saying, this is something that has been around a while. It's just the first time that we've had an occasion to apply it to a health scenario on such a wide scale. And you know, what's interesting as well, and another question that often comes up is, is that if the vaccine, if the person takes the vaccine, will this stop them from uh, getting uh, or having the diagnosis of, of COVID-19. And just because they don't understand the science involved in it. Right, see, just like, just as with the flu, you get the flu vaccine, but you can still get the flu and or flu symptoms and that sort of thing. The same would be true with the coronavirus vaccine. It is still possible to contract it. The idea is to give your immune system a chance, like a head start, if you will, to prevent a lot of the horrible side effects of infection that we're seeing, you know, ventilators and all of that sort of thing. And it's really that, that it's really out to combat as much as possible. So the hope is that, you know, worst case scenario, if you were, if you were to get the, get the vaccine and you were to get coronavirus, that you would end up with a mild form of the disease. Mm -hmm. One thing though, that we don't know for sure is whether or not the vaccine actually prevents transmission. Meaning if you got the vaccine, but you happen to get coronavirus, could you actually be asymptomatic and still spread it to other people? Um, I think we'll know the answer to that in the next few in the next few months because this is something that's being that's being studied. Yes. But right now, um, continue we, to we, mask. we don't know that for sure. So yes, mm -hmm. continue to mask, continue to maintain social distancing, you know. But I think that as the vaccine has rolled out, a lot of locations, uh, states, and cities, and everything across the country have rolled back their um, restrictions mm -hmm. and all of that. Um, some a little bit prematurely. I think, I, I think that yeah, some have made those announcements. I'm not. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the recommendation is to continue with the social distancing. Um, yes, that's still a recommendation. Continue with the social distancing, continue with the masking. I think masking will be with us for a while because as I said, we yeah. don't know about the issue of, of, of transmission. Um, no, what I mean is some places were, were closing the various businesses and all that sort of thing, and now they're allowing them to operate at 60, 80% capacity oh, okay. and that sort of yeah. thing. But that assumes that people will continue to do what it is they're supposed to do. Yes, in order to stay safe. Right. You had mentioned uh, the term herd immunity. Can you explain that or elaborate on that? Well, I think the easiest way to think of it is 
if you can prevent an illness from being within a society, then those who are not protected from the illness will stay safe. So if the herd around the sensitive individuals are protected, then those individuals who are not protected are protected just simply because there's a buffer in terms of there being a lesser chance that they'll be exposed to the illness. That's pretty much how that works. You know, it's not any special, particular, real immunity because if someone, if a small city has achieved herd immunity and those who are sensitive move outside of the city, mm. that's gone. See, so it's not real. It's more of a statistical thing. Okay. You hear that a lot. And I want to make sure that people have an idea or a sense of what is it? Right. It's more in terms of numbers than reality. So if you think about it, herd immunity really gets at what percentage of the population needs to be immune, whether through having previously had the disease or from vaccination to be able to pretty much wipe out the spread or make this, this spread almost, almost mm -hmm. negligible. Decrease neg further exposures. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's different for different diseases. Like for instance, measles is highly contagious, mm -hmm. all right? So you would need 95% of the population to be immune to control the spread of measles, all right? For the flu, we think it's probably around maybe 70, 75%. Mm -hmm. We don't really know what that number is for the coronavirus. But let's say for instance, we say it's 70%, right? Being conservative. 70% of the US population is around 200 million, right? So, only people who are alive are able to offer herd immunity, right? So if you have 200 million people who have herd immunity because they already had the virus, right? That means at least 2 million people would have had to die, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Can we as a society afford that? Right. I say we can't. Mm -hmm. And so if you think of it in those terms, getting vaccinated helps us to get to herd immunity quicker mm -hmm. and, and, with, and save more lives. Mm -hmm. It just makes more sense. Right. Amen. Amen. We have to close, but give us, give the people 30 seconds to, you know, 30 second take home points that you would like for them to take from this broadcast. I think one of, the, again, one of the main things is to assess whether or not the vaccine is something that's going to be beneficial for you and your situation. If you are in a position where you're going to be exposed frequently, if you have to be around those who are gonna be at risk, the, the, the elderly, the very young, 
then it might be worthwhile for you to consider that. But it's still important whether you take the vaccine or not to social distance, mask, continue sanitizing, continue hand washing. And Dr. Woodhouse? Granted, this is a conversation you should have with your physician. However, I think if you are eligible for the vaccine, if the vaccine is offered to you, I would strongly encourage you to take it. Remember, there are people who legitimately cannot receive the vaccine. Young children under age 16 at this point have no option for a vaccine. Mm -hmm. People who have had um, stem cell transplants or certain medical conditions, they cannot get the vaccine. We need to save lives and getting the vaccine will help us save more lives. To me, this is even more important than, well, it's just as important if not more than whether or not you got the flu vaccine. This is not mm -hmm. the flu. We're in the middle of a pandemic and we need the pandemic to end. Mm -hmm. Get the vaccine if you're eligible. Most people in this country, in the world, over age 16 are eligible for some sort of vaccine, for one of the vaccines. Yes. Wow. The virus is now the number three killer in this country. Good information. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. I appreciate you coming on. I appreciate you sharing the information, being willing to share of your time so that people will be informed. So thank you very much. And I never like to end the broadcast without allowing someone to receive the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if this is you, and if God is pulling at the strings of your heart, repeat this after me. Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. I cannot save myself. I repent of my sins. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. I believe that you're the son of God, that you died on the cross and God the Father raised you by the power of Holy Spirit on the third day. Jesus, I believe that you're seated this day at the right hand of God. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. I make you my Lord and Savior. I pray in the name of Jesus that the spirit of the living God gives you the assurance of what it is that you've done this day by receiving the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. And I pray in the name of Jesus, a, a prayer of protection over you. And I just pray that uh, God gives you and grants you peace and prosperity. Remember that God's peace, it passes all understanding. Keep your heart and your mind through Christ Jesus. God bless you. I love you. I'm Apostle Lisa H. Fuller. And I just wanted to invite you again to listen to the podcast Mondays through Friday. And also, uh, LisaHFullerMinistries.org. God bless you. I love you. And God, remember, God loves you more. God bless. <laughs>